1: So begins our next edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. I'm Nikki Dakota, your horse, joined today by the Film Guys, and none other than the Nitrate Film Archivist for the Library of Congress, George Willimon. George, hello and thanks.
2: Hello, howdy, and all that good stuff.
1: Yes, indeed. Also, the storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers, and currently working uh, as the sexiest man alive, it is J. Todd Anderson. (laughs) I'm
0: working for the sexiest man a lot. That's what they say. If only I could get that nomenclature hung around my neck. But, you know, because we are doing the monkey movie today.
1: Today we are gathered together to celebrate the perfect film that is King Kong, right here on Filmically Perfect.
0: One of the greatest movies ever made.
1: And now this has, uh, we we could say, one of the uh, greatest movies that's been made and made and made, but we're looking at the very first uh, spin on this
0: one. We don't want to bother ourselves with these these terrible imitations of a great classic film.
1: And this one, of course, originally uh, out in 1933. So, among other things, uh, black and white.
2: That's right. Very black and white. Um, I think they did. They did do a colorized version for videotape back in the eighties uh, when Turner had his claws into it. But, Ooh, uh, they colorized has, this version. Yes, that has, I believe, since disappeared. I don't know if they reissued it when they put the DVD
0: out or not. I hope not.
1: It's not on mine.
0: Uh, man, I'll tell you, this movie—it um, doesn't need to be in color. It's it's beautiful the way it is. It's some of the finest black and white photography you're going to see from the era. And it also has really wonderful sound for 1933. Uh, uh... Yeah, the,
2: the interesting thing, one of the interesting things about it, since it was made by RKO, uh, RKO was a, a product of the RCA Corporation and was basically started as a way for them to promote their sound system, which was called Photophone. They, you know, Western Electric had jumped in and pretty much gobbled up the market. They had this new system they were part of uh, RCA they bought a film a theater chain in an old film studio and basically built
0: this RKO and Radio Pictures out of it and it stands for Radio Keith Orphime, right George
2: oh, Orpheum, what yes.
1: what Keith what's the middle word Keith like somebody's yeah. name
2: yeah it's a Keith was a theater chain at the time
1: oh i see and
2: so was Orpheum, and that's where they got their basically it was almost it was like a package deal you know they bought this studio called the Film Booking Office, which actually belonged to one of the Kennedys. Actually, Old Man Kennedy who had his money in it. And uh, they bought that for their studio and then for the production. End, and then they got the Keith Orpheum Theater Circuit for the distribution. So it was pretty much packaged up so they could have a place to make movies and release them. So going for a that little bit. John monopoly. Teddy
0: and, and Robbie's dad. <laughs>
1: that's all right. Yeah, that's right.
0: It? That's right. Joseph P. Kennedy.
1: Of course, yeah. we still have these. But, I mean, as far as becoming industry standard, that never really –
2: what came dig- around
1: their sound? Their whole, oh,
2: yeah. I mean, there, the reason actually their system is still pretty much used. Um, I mean, now we've got some you know, we've got the digital equivalent of it, but for many years, uh, R- RCA system became very popular after its patent ran out, <sighs> uh, because otherwise RCA was going to charge people to use it. But uh, RKO because they had this sound system, they had an incredible sound department. And on this one, they they went to bat on this one, and actually, a lot of other studios would go over and use RKO's sound department because it was so good.
0: Now you know if you uh, uh, if you see the globe and it has the antenna on top, RKO, it's really a cool opening. It's one it of the is. better ones. And RKO did some really interesting stuff. They did a S- Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. They were all across the board with some great films. Noir. If you still go to if you go to Hollywood and go to Paramount Studios, and you drive. By there on the Gower Street corner, I believe it is. You can still see that globe. It's there. It's not like 20th Century Fox where they, you know, look. When I went first went to Hollywood, I was hunting for the 20th Century Fox. (laughs) Right. But it's just a piece of cardboard up there. It's no good at all, you know. But if you go there, the antenna is not there, but the globe is still there, and you can see what they used as their logo because RKO was what is now half of the Paramount lot, and that became Desilu, I believe, yeah, when, when Desi oh. and Lucy bought it. They bought the RKO's. But RKO's swapped hands quite a few times, and this is one of their most monumental achievements, is this movie, because David O. Salznick was involved, right. Mary Ann C. Cooper, right. um, and just, it was just the collaboration of some some of the greatest most uh creative talents in Hollywood this movie.
1: Okay, we've established that we have a good looking film in black and white, some of mm-hmm. the fine uh black and uh, white film that you can see. Also great great sound, but that alone does not qualify. Oh no, we've only just begun. We must
0: establish why why George and I believe this is this is a perfect movie. Well, firstly, it's because this movie creates the world that it
2: exists in, in a big way.
0: And this movie wholly sustains that world, in a big way.
2: (laughs) And regardless of changes in society, it retains its meaning and entertainment value, again, in a big way.
0: And no big numbers can apply to this movie, meaning that it can't be greater numerically rated greater than any other movie, although it in a big way it It is a great movie movie. we
1: wouldn't dare it's perfect
0: in its own scale but let me tell you we love this picture
1: indeed so uh as far as creating the world that it exists in, i'll give you that and uh i mean that's just without question who would have thought by the way where does this crazy story come from a giant ape found in the jungle brought to broadway where are you going to take a giant ape well broadway
2: it, it, a lot of it – it was a very much a collaborative effort. Uh, Marion Cooper and, and Ernst Schoedsack, who are the producers and directors of the film, had been throughout the 20s these sort of uh, globetrotting um, filmmakers who were making these big – I don't want to say documentary – sort of documentary travelogues of, of exotic lands. They did one <laughs> called Chang, which is about um, – Straight. Yeah, an a- Asian country. I can't remember which one right now. Um, and they did – They did a film called Grass about the migration of these nomadic troops, uh, nomadic peoples over the mountains. And so they were so interested in all of this stuff. And and I can't remember. I I think it may have actually been Cooper was the one who originally got the idea. And then he got together with all these authors, uh, James Creelman and Ruth Rose, and the famous English uh, mystery writer Edgar Wallace to craft a story about this big ape.
0: This is made for the movie. This is what really is cool. It's not based on a book or anything. This is a yeah. movie, man. This is made for the screen. I mean, every, every inch, every piece of material in this movie is designed for the big screen. Right. But the real topper for Cooper was that he
2: got um, um, Willis O'Brien, this man named Willis O'Brien, who had been working in uh, puppet animation since the teens, and had done a film in the twenties called *The Lost World*, where he'd brought these dinosaurs to life.
1: And, oh, I've seen that.
2: Yes, and uh, and he had started in the early, 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 late twenties, early thirties on a film called *Creation*, that was another dinosaur film, and it had kind of just kind of petered out. But he got in the eye of Cooper, and that and Cooper got him because he knew he had to have something really special for the the monkey. For the ape in this thing, and O'Brien was the go-to guy as far as animation was concerned.
1: And you mean what what I sort of generally call claymation, in this right. case, yeah,
2: right. And this it was a little more. It was more like the kind of animation that um, that they did in like Nightmare Before Christmas, where the characters are built on metal armatures and then covered with with different kinds of leathers and skins, and probably not plastics, rubber probably. And, uh, and then, yes, they would be put into these miniaturized sets and then moved one frame at a time, shooting, to shooting, 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 shooting,
0: shooting. In fact, if you go uh, to your hardware store and you find one of those, and it's, not, it's very hard to describe, but they sit on the desk, and they have little alligator clips on there, and they have little bendable joints, and that's what you use to solder with. Those armatures are very similar when you see the original King Kong armature, which is still around, and Ooh, they were very highly precision machined so that they could do it accurately and uh the amount of patience that goes into this is really painstaking especially on this movie and uh, uh when you watch this movie when you watch it and i was explaining this to nikki and i think i've talked to george about this is that you're gonna watch that m- monkey move and when he moves his fur takes on this crazy look and it's crazy crazy look and if you look at it very carefully you'll see their fingerprints from where those guys are moving that monkey on the Empire State Building, and but here's the best part about it is like any sculptor or any painter, they're not just fingerprints. These guys are so involved that they kind of make this creature breathe with their fingerprints. Mm-hmm. You you are sucked into the story because you believe this monkey is real because I've read these guys have said that they wanted to make this the greatest movie ever made, and you can tell because it, there's there's an, the monkey sort of breeze from the fingerprints it looks like his fur is makes it comes to life because of the way they've shaped him and the way he moves it's very strange i watch this movie a lot of times and the plate work and all that stuff's beautiful but there's something about what they did to this creature to bring him to life
1: I was sucked in, right? I mean, just immediately sucked in. I we saw are, it as a we kid, We are but talking about the original
0: movie here. None, 1933.
1: Yeah. We're talking about King Kong on Filmically Perfect here on 91.3 WYSO. And we're at the point that we're talking about that a, 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 a mechanical armatured monkey from 1933 is believable to this day.
2: Right, and and it's interesting. One point I want to bring up to, to tag on to John's point here is um, when um, Ardman Animation, who do the, um, the Wallace and Gromit films, Oh yeah. Um, of course those are done with clay and I think they may actually have armatures with clay over them. And they but, are
0: still stop action, right? right. Or, yes. All those are. Well,
2: when they did Chicken Run, which they did in the same style as as Wallace and Gromit, they used a new a new process which were which were molded plastic puppets. So they were not using the clay so you don't see the fingerprints on oh, them. Oh. And okay. a lot of people complained about that actually. So it was very interesting because
1: they wanted to see the fingerprints. When they
2: went back when they did the uh, the Curse of the Were Rabbit, uh, a couple a years ago, movie. which is really really funny and too. The great um, they went back to the old clay style, so you see, and and it's one of the really charming things about, it, and it adds that sort of that level of humanity of seeing the fingerprints on the characters as the film is progressing. I don't know what yeah, it is. Isn't it
1: funny? But this guy's
0: did. a good artist, like any sculptor. If you watch him, it just it comes to life when they stop action. It's beyond sculpture. It really is. It's. I haven't heard too many people write about this, but I notice it every time I watch King Kong that this darn monkey is alive because of those crazy fingerprints you see moving around on him.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: And yeah. And and they also the other thing about this film that I think makes it so amazing is that it did come out in 1933. You know, near the height of the depression. Um, I mean, the the film business had taken a big hit, and I'm sure that RKO you know was was struggling because they were only a few years old. They'd had some really rough times. The management was very unstable. There it was constantly changing, and for them to, you know, it took them two years to make this film. So they've been working on it since because the animation took it's such a long time. It was a big
0: gamble for the studio.
2: Yeah, and it times. really was, and it was expensive. It was a very expensive film for them to do, so uh, so they had a lot riding on it. If, if King it Kong had not though. been a success, that, that probably would have been the end of RKO for sure. But it was. It was a huge, huge hit.
0: Well, it, it set the careers going for people like David O. Selznick and... Mm-hmm. uh and and Cooper. Cooper and Willis O'Brien and all well, those... I, I think that the, the
2: popularity of that film basically put Cooper in charge of RKO Studios. He became the head of production at RKO after King Kong and was there for many, many years. And yeah, and and people like Max Steiner, who did the uh, one of the probably the greatest film scores of the '30s, if not of all
0: time. And This baby, this score is a killer score. <laughs> Gives me goosebumps every time I watch this mm-hmm. thing, man. And of course, Willis O'Brien, who went on to do a lot of other
2: uh, animation films, uh, well, he did *Son of Kong*, which we'll get to, and uh, and then and then Mighty Joe Young. Um, but he, also, he the film caught the eye of um, a young man, Ray Harryhausen, who uh, saw this film was totally enamored of it, and you know, worked it into him becoming basically Willis O'Brien's. Uh, Replacement when O'Brien retired, and of course Harryhausen went on and did Jason. Harryhausen, yeah, the
0: did, most, oh, Jason one of the, the very, Argonaut. very famous uh, Sinbad, the skeleton, uh, yeah, the scene skeleton. with uh, the I sword. That. that is like Harryhausen's fingerprint. You know, its mm. everybody's tried to imitate that uh, a skeleton thing. Isn't and it
1: funny? So here, this uh, sort of technique was this the first claymation? What, what should I call this? This stop monkey action. movement. Stop action. Yeah, stop action. Stop action. This wasn't surely the first use of it, but maybe the first to great effect. Oh
2: no, no. Well, there's a Lost World in the twenties which okay. was also will O'Brien, and about the last half of the movie has dinosaurs in it, and that was the first big one. Uh, this one, though, was the, was the first big sound film to use this kind of animation, and after it and its sequel, there aren't a whole lot more until
0: Mighty Joe Young in, like, 49.
2: So, because it was well, an expensive process.
0: Yeah, and, it was, and it's a big gamble for anybody, but this movie was very hard to top. Yeah. <laughs> it was very very but hard. But how to interesting
1: top. that this technique that they and it's sort of still hard to top. Yeah. And that that they that they would use basically this same technique some 70 years later for the Wallace and Gromit for example. I mean, how mm-hmm. interesting it speaks to the I don't know if it speaks maybe it
2: becomes sort of an artist thing, you know. Yeah. There there's easier ways of doing art, but it doesn't, you know, ease does not come
0: into art, I
2: don't think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, th- this movie
0: is one of the very first movies that I remember seeing with my mom. Yeah. And I'm in the teen, this is in Were the you 60s. you scared to death? Oh, shucks, yeah, man. Uh. That thing just... <laughs> I remember my mom was telling me, this is in the 60s when they showed movies all the time because they didn't have anything else to show. Right. And she goes, she kept explaining, it's a big monkey and it's going to take this girl. And I was listening to all this. <laughs> and, to was, and what does you. he do with this girl? He takes this girl and he climbs a building. I just watch the movie, you know? <laughs> and I sat there and watched it with her one afternoon. I was just wow <laughs> i couldn't stop thinking about it when's it coming on again it was like the beatles are they coming on every right, week now you know right, right. uh this is like i don't know when i was four or five and from that moment on i was hooked on movies because this movie
1: how about that that's
0: in the first movie when the monkey died nobody cried and in my <laughs> movie when the monkey died everybody cried
1: you have to explain yeah. what that that's is. when
0: uh when the our, our
2: beloved friend dino Dylan <laughs> Uh, thought he could outdo uh, the old black and white King Kong in the '70s, and did this this huge bloated thing. Uh, <laughs> bloated, good word. Where they they built this enormous uh, mechanical <laughs> King Kong? It was going to be really amazing. It was going to do all this stuff. And, and they couldn't get it to work. So most of King Kong in the movie is actually Rick Baker in a monkey suit. Yeah. Oh, man.
1: And when man. we were doing
0: Hudsucker Proxy over there uh, and <laughs> Carl Cohn, we, we used to go back there and look at the monkey in the weeds. He's still laying back there. Some Japanese draftsman had made this meticulous, meticulous, it cost them so much money, framed sculpture of this thing that was 20 feet high and he's back there laying in the weeds. Like, You're Let's kidding. go see King Kong back there. Like the you know? I don't know if he might still yeah. be back there. I don't know. But, uh, get out.
1: <laughs> Somebody needs yeah. to get that. I mean, just for the sake of preservation. But it's maybe like, it's maybe like 15 seconds in the film,
0: on. and the monkey's just kind of moving. Yeah, if I
2: remember correctly, the only scene that that monkey appears in is at the end when they're showing him off in the theater, like in this movie. Yeah. and he kind of raises his arm. I think that's about it. And the only thing the only thing that 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 we got out of that one was uh, Jessica Lang and.
0: Yeah, and she—you just cut all the rest of it out and look at her, man. Yeah. she's great.
1: So that might be worth the price of admission, but do not pay any attention. And to there's the some monkey. great
0: Japanese Kong, K- King Kong <laughs> versus uh, Godzilla, I mean, yeah. and there's all these crazy, crazy <laughs> versions of King Kong. <laughs> it's just there's there's a plethora of just King Kong versus the
2: Mole right, Man right. or something.
0: <laughs> oh, but let's get back to the real King Kong,
2: yeah, shall this we? Is
1: 1933, which but is why we're one of the most interesting things.
2: Uh, talking about some of the people in the film uh, and they got a really great cast of stalwarts oh, in here. Man, uh, great. Robert Armstrong playing Carl Denham and Carl Denham, the filmmaker in it, is is somewhat loosely, maybe not so loosely based on Marion Cooper. Very oh. much, he, he kind of has sort of Cooper's mannerisms and, and he kind of sets the, the tone for the movie um, with this little comment. They're in the ship and he's getting ready to tell the captain where they are going. When they're going to Skull Island and he's give him him the reason why they're going
3: did you ever hear of kong why yes some native superstition isn't it a god or a spirit or something well anyway neither beast nor man something monstrous all-powerful still living still holding that island in a grip of deadly fear well every legend has a basis of truth I tell you, there's something on that island that no white man has ever seen. And you expect to photograph it? If it's there, you bet I'll photograph it. Suppose it doesn't like heaven its picture taken. Well, now you know why I brought along those cases of gas bombs.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, so Denim, Denim and his little <laughs> gang are heading for uh, Skull Island, and before he leaves, he, he needs to get a girl for his film. And it's really interesting because he doesn't really know what the film is but he knows he needs uh, a girl to go along got to be, go a, Gotta be love a girl interest, they, they, yeah. They, yeah well there's you know they, they like a pretty face in the movies and that's what he <laughs> wants and uh, so he finds he finds Anne Darrow played by um, Faye Ray, Fay Ray um, who, to whom this movie became very important I mean she was in a lot of movies. But pretty much to the end of her days, she actually had one of the largest collections of King Kong memorabilia in the world. And I mean, really she, amazing things. And, and she, she
0: loved to talk about yeah, it. She, Everywhere she, she goes, she she was not shy about this movie She uh, to
1: her dying day, yeah. right? She yeah.
0: loved to talk. She knew it was a great movie. There was none of this, well, I've done other films.
2: This is the uh, one that nice. she loved and appreciated. How
1: refreshing. Yeah. Right. So bit.
2: in this little piece, uh, as they get onto the ship, Carl wants to see how she's going to photograph. So he has her dress up in this really, really uh, fancy gown and put her hair down. And he takes an old, uh, he has an old Bell and Howell uh, movie camera with him that he sets up. And he's doing a screen test of her. And this little piece here is the end of the screen test. And you'll hear Faye do one of her famous patented screens.
3: Camera, look up slowly, Anne. That's it. You don't see anything. Now look higher. Still higher. Now you see it. You're amazed. You can't believe it. Your eyes open wider. It's horrible, Anne, but you can't look away. There's no chance for you, Anne. No escape. You're helpless, Anne. Helpless. There's just one chance. If you can scream, but your throat's paralyzed. Try to scream, Anne. Cry. Perhaps if you didn't see it, you could scream. Throw your arms across your eyes and scream man. scream for your life! <laughs> What's he think she's really gonna see? Oh, uh,
1: wow! <laughs> now, of course,
2: that voice at the end is uh, Bruce Cabot, who plays Driscoll, who basically becomes uh, her, her protector throughout the rest of the movie. So, for those of you who haven't seen this film, oh, the sorry. spoiler alert! Oh, oh yes, we're gonna need a spoiler God, alert.
1: Brace yourselves. Oh.
2: We're going down. Oh! Minute,
0: Stand aside on Thirty-fourth Street. The monkey is coming down.
2: All right, cut the alarm.
1: For please. those of you who haven't,
0: <laughs> so
2: they get to, they do get to Skull Island, and when they get on to shore, they find the natives performing this this wild ritualistic dance, which actually was choreographed by Busby Berkeley.
1: Which is okay. a name is familiar to me but probably should be right. a carry more. He's
2: um, basically did all these great Warner Brothers musicals where they would have girls doing big circles and, you know, making and, different kind of formations. Like and symmetry and yes. pianos <laughs> and that kind of thing.
1: Um,
2: but he was working um, nearby and I guess he knew Cooper, and, and he had he came over and did this choreography. And it's and- interesting because the natives are, are sort of dancing in circles, sort of concentric circles,
1: <laughs> in ape costumes. Oh no!
2: And uh, so they they find the big wall that Denim had been talking about. There's a huge gate on it, which actually was a wall built for um, Sesame Meals, King of Kings. Uh, his big his big. Uh, um, uh, a uh, Christ's Passion film that he did in the late twenties, and they redressed it to look like this huge wall. And that
0: wall also gets burned down in gone with the wind. That's right. They use the wall. The again. Burning, oh, of Atlanta, no. burning of that Atlanta. That is, is what King Kong's wall. Well, at least did. they're
1: right. recycling. Yeah, yeah, at least, it, like it, at least it got,
2: got used.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which later became, I understand, Hogan's Heroes <laughs> set. That's no, what I on the same no. wall. That's what I hear. Is that
1: really okay. true?
0: Um, I don't know if it's true, but I mean that's over there at. Uh, <laughs>
1: uh,
0: uh, Culver City Studios, yeah, and, and cool. that's where they, they yeah. always said, well, that was King Kong Wall was here, and then Hogan's Heroes was here, and uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, they burned it down. I mean, that's the way they usually yeah, talk. It it. Now, and they, now it is a parking lot, I think. But they um, the, na- the natives
2: see Ann Darrow, and they they want her as a sacrifice for their, their god, Kong. And, of course, Denham, uh, in a moment of humanity, says no. And they go back to the ship, but the natives come on the ship, kidnap Anne,
0: which is really cool. It's right. a creepy scene, man. It's
2: and of cool. course, they have to. They the guys go back and they have to go rescue her. And here's where Kong shows up and um, and takes Anne away. And then the big adventure starts. They have to go into the forest and they find her. And there are all these great uh scenes with you know a brontosaurus and a tyrannosaurus rex and different creatures that. Quickly dispatch most of the crew. Uh, there's a really horrific scene where he knocks them off a log oh, into that's a cool. chasm. That's a fun scene and originally, thing. it's
0: all glasswork, too.
2: Originally, that was immediately followed by what is called the spider pit scene, where this, the, the sailors who had fallen into this pit were attacked by bugs and huge spiders. And Ew. that scene was so ghastly. And I think also it was decided that it stopped the story too long that Cooper took it out. But if you get the new DVD of it, our friend Peter Jackson has very nicely recreated the entire scene so you can see what it probably looked like. And I think if you see it, um, I agreed with Cooper that it was good to cut it out because it was too much at the wrong time.
1: But it's still plenty creepy. It's
2: very creepy. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, Driscoll and Denim continue on, and they do manage to rescue Anne from King Kong. And there's a really great scene where King Kong is kind of just kind of toying with Anne just kind of touching her and and
0: spelling his fingers which I don't know how they got away with that even in 1933. But they, for years and years and years that scene was cut out of this. Yeah, it was movie, trimmed way down. You know, so cuz it would really affect four-year-old children like me who were watching it. Yeah. It just didn't stop me though. I just, you know, dreamed about it and and, and, <laughs> and George and I wrote letters for years and when they finally put it back in there? Is right?
1: like, no.
2: I'm just kidding like we could do anything with like that. But. They, but of course, Kong <laughs> follows them back to retrieve his prize, and uh, Denim's gas bombs that he took with him actually work. Yep. And they uh, they box up Kong and take him back to New York, and they they make him into a, a, a basically a freak show on Broadway. Broadway. Yeah, to which he doesn't take very well. He gets loose. He um, he just derails a train.
0: He goes up the side of a building. Scene, yeah. he, he again, this that's was, where he gets. This is banned. when the SPCA. Really got inspired, you know. <laughs> this, is, this is the auspices of the SPCA when Kong is rampaging through New York, you know, because they don't treat him very nicely in that, Tony.
1: That's the Society know. for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals yes. in case, yes. Mm-hmm. But another inter-
2: and another interesting piece that I think uh, sometimes got cut out was as he's climbing the building looking in the windows for Anne, he sees this woman that kind of looks like her and he grabs her. And he pulls her out the window, and he's you know looking at her, and he Snips realizes it's not roll. her, and he just lets her go. <laughs> Tosses Ooh. her, and she drops to the ground. Uh, he does get in. He climbs the top of the Empire State Building, and by this time they've mobilized the army, and the army takes these uh, their little biplanes out, and they gun uh, King Kong off the top of the Empire State I Building. It was really and, sad. And one of the uh, the mm. most powerful images in there, and it just it bring it it chokes me up every time you see it. Is when just before Kong falls, he has this just. Look on his face and it's a real credit To Willis O'Brien that he could take this Little character this little You know leather and rubber character And mold it to bring all this Emotion out of that face and, but, but Kong and you know in his last Act he sets Anne down because he Knows he's done and, and he Falls from the building and he lands with a big Splat on the, on the street
0: yeah, you'll probably When we're talking about this right now you'll Probably remember those cuts exactly the Shots he sets the girl down And then he looks at her this is this is a puppet we're yeah. talking about. Yeah, about, about a foot is, high. This is true true cinema magic here. And even to this day you look at the puppet, looks at her, he looks at her with an eye line and then the plane comes in and rakes him with machine gun fire and then he looks at the blood. You can almost describe it cuz he's seen it so many times and then the monkey falls and the cool part is that Marion Z Cooper is flying the airplane and the uh, and Ernest
2: Shotzak, the other director is manning the machine gun and that came about as in production they were they I guess they hadn't cast those parts yet for the and 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 Cooper and Shotzak talked and
0: they said, "You know, we created this SOB, we can
2: kill it." Why don't so- we?
0: I, and I always see those guys, and I think they're doing this in front of process, you know, and they're just, I could just see they're dreaming about how this thing's going to cut together when they're doing it, you know. So, gentlemen, yeah.
1: we have been talking about King Kong on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO, and I would say that this not only upholds all the rules, but in some cases even goes far beyond, because rule number three, which we barely touched on, people make reference to King Kong even through to today.
2: It is. Can we play that last line before we get, because I think it's a good wrap up for it.
1: Here we go.
3: Well, Denham, the airplanes got him. Oh, no. It wasn't the airplanes. It was beauty killed
1: the beast. Beauty killed
3: the beast. For the love of beauty. Oh, man, what a line. Huh?
2: <laughs> and you know, also, if I could jam this in here really quick, um, this is also a good example of Hollywood uh, trying to top itself. The, the film was a huge success. Came out in March of '33. Uh, in October of '33, Son of Kong came out, and it's terrible.
1: Same it's, cast of characters. Same, cast, same crew. Yeah,
2: same, uh, not the same director,
0: but Will O'Brien did do the uh, do the the um, animation for it. But it's just it's just dumb. If you sit down and watch this movie now, really watch it, you're gonna it's gonna you're gonna get the real distinct impression to everybody that's going to try and imitate this film, don't don't try
1: this at <laughs> just, don't, just if don't you think about it. the new
0: one I mean Peter Jackson's a great filmmaker we do but this is one of these holy grails of movies nobody will be able to top it right
1: gentlemen we are just about out of time you've been listening to filmically perfect on 913WY so we've been talking about King Kong if you would like to hear this again please go to the website that's perfect film it's Perfect Movie, isn't it?
2: Yes. Yeah, perfect. <laughs>
1: PerfectMovie.net. Perfect or give us an email if you would. That's FilmGuys at PerfectMovie.net. Film Weekly Perfect is on Fridays at uh, 12.30 on 91.3 WYSO. Gentlemen, what can we look forward to next time around?
2: Next time around, Little Big Man. A great epic of the American Indians from the early 70s.